Hello and welcome back to the Depths of Music Podcast. My name is Nick and today we are finishing the year up with the end of year wrap up 2023. If you're new around here and you have not seen any of the other year end wrap ups, what I do every year is I do a brief review of every single album that I have listened to over the course of the year in kind of a tier list fashion. Um, we've got five different tiers here. I start from the worst and then I work my way up to the best. Um, it's not exactly a list per se because within the tiers, we're not at all organized. Um, but it'll give you kind of a general sense. Obviously, you can tell by what I say how I'm feeling. Um, some stipulations I want to get into before we jump into the list. First of all, um, this is not going to be, despite the name of the show, if this is your first episode, most times I do track by track reviews, which, you know, is kind of where the depths part of depths of music comes in. Um, this is not for that. This is to cover kind of the wider range of albums I maybe didn't get to talk about this year. So that being said, not a lot of these are going to be super comprehensive and a lot of these albums I probably only listened to once or twice before putting them on this list. So... Unfortunately, I did not have as much time as I would like to with a lot of these. So if my commentary is kind of vague um, towards some records, especially it's always kind of biased against the records at the beginning of the year. Um, that's why I want to go over one other rule, which is that um, re-recordings of albums do count. So both of Taylor Swift's albums are going to be on this list. Dolly Parton's mostly cover album. Uh, Rockstar is going to be on this list. Demi Lovato revamping her career into rock is going to be on this list. All that stuff is going to be on the list. Um, however, expanded or deluxe editions, no matter how kind of um, big or robust that deluxe edition is, is going to make it on the list. So I talked about this a little bit last time during my Christmas special where I talked about Sabrina Carpenter's Christmas EP, um, but re-emails I can't send, which uh, came out this year as a expanded edition of her 2022 album, Emails I Can't Send, will not be on this list. Neither will uh, Noah Kahn's expanded edition of Stick Season. Trust me, I wish I would have gotten a stick season last year, um, and I do love that album, but it's it's not going on here. And of course, as I just alluded to with Noah Khan, uh, I can't hit everything, so some notable exceptions um, that I wanted to get to and I did not have the chance, Baby Metal, August Burns Red, Post Malone, Bad Bunny, Morgan Wallen, and kind of Luke Combs. I made it about halfway through that album, uh, and I like it so far. Some of these I didn't listen to because I just didn't have time. Some of these, like the Morgan Wallen, I knew were going to be really long, and I probably wasn't going to like it. Um, but as you can see, that didn't hold me back from all of these. The other last rule before we get into the list, I know this is a lot of rules, so I appreciate your patience, is that... Um, I'm going to be referencing not only just Depths, other episodes of Depths, but I will also be referencing some other publications I work for um, as a student journalist. The point of this is that in some of those publications and some of those reviews for other websites, I have gone a little more in depth uh, with 
these albums. So if you want more beyond what I'm going to briefly say about it, uh, you can go there. And obviously the albums that we already covered on depths, I'm not going to give too much time to just because I don't want to repeat myself. We've got a lot of ground to cover here. Um, just over 70 albums and we are going to scrape our way from the bottom of the barrel up to the top. So let us start with the absolute worst of the worst. We've got seven albums in my very bottom tier, which by all stances is pretty good. I typically listen to stuff. I'm more inclined to listen to stuff that I like. Um, and what a lot of people don't really seem to realize is that a lot of music kind of falls in the it's pretty decent category. Um, as you'll see as we get further down this list. But there were a few really bad stinkers this year. Uh, the first one I want to point out is Drake's For All the Dogs. Um, this was the most recent one of the worst albums I listened to. Uh, this album is pretty much everything you'd expect from a Drake record in 2023. Um, I've only liked one or two of Drake's projects, and obviously they were from the 2010s. Um, if you don't like Certified Lover Boy or honestly, never mind. or Her Loss, even though Her Loss was kind of one of the better ones he'd done in a while, that was mostly off of 21 Savage. Um, if you don't like these kind of long, very monotone Drake projects from this decade so far, I would recommend you skip this. If you've listened to any Drake in the 2020s, you've heard this album. Don't worry about it. There's a few good moments um, on here, but most of it's not really much to write home about, especially as a full album. Um, AJR, The Maybe Man is up next. This is the first time I have actually listened to, sat down in my car and listened to an AJR record all the way through, and god damn, this is really bad. Um, there are two audiences that AJR reminds me of, and I feel like the two target audiences for this are high school band kids and, like, the most stereotypical millennial. Um, cause this album is filled with what I would call melodrama and quirkiness. Um, like I would have loved this when I was 14 and I mean that in a derogatory way. It feels like it's trying too hard to be relatable and cute and quirky. Um, that's kind of where that millennial thing comes in with the whole, like, I feel like this is kind of like a Buzzfeed quiz about like which Harry Potter house your doggo is in or something like that is kind of the vibes I get from the lyricism in some of these songs. Um, the album attempts to go into deep content, um, but it really doesn't have the writing chops or I guess the quality of writing to actually pull this off. They come in with about the grace of a sledgehammer. Um, and it alludes to much bigger ideas, but it never really explores them in a way that's interesting. Obviously, what AJR is talking about in this album in certain instances is very important societally to talk about. However, they're not doing it in a way that's at all original, at all um, mature, or at all something that is kind of worth noting that you wouldn't get just anywhere else. Um I think the overproduction is terrible. Um, this is where like the Imagine Dragons influence comes in, which is crazy because you wouldn't think Imagine Dragons is a band with influence, but they are. They really, really are. Uh, and you can hear it with AJR. If you thought Imagine Dragons couldn't get any blander, 
AJR isn't blander, but they've got a nice sprinkle of just good old-fashioned cringe to spice things up. But in general, this album is trying way too hard to be quirky, relatable, fun, funny, whatever, and it just comes across as really shallow. Um, and it just comes across as it's throwing all this fluff into your face to shroud the fact that underneath this, there's not really anything going on. And it's it's pretty bad. All right. Um, I talked about it on Depths. This is the only one that I talked about on the show proper. Me and my girlfriend actually tore into NF Ho- NF's Hope. Um, this album's bad. The fact that him and actually AJR, they're not doing it together, although that would be crazy if they did, um, are going on headlines tours with these albums are insane to me. Um, but yeah, NF's hope is just as bad as I said it was at the time. Um, just kind of the worst melodramatic white guy rap of somebody who thinks he's like better than every other rapper when he's really not. He can just rap kind of fast and can spit over a beat of like violins um yeah this album's really really bad um didn't make me turn around on nf i don't know if anything will um i don't even know if i care to listen anymore but yeah nf's hope worst rap album of the year um if you know anything about the jokes and the stereotypes around nf it's all true um and it's all on that record next up is all time lows tell me i'm alive the note i want to put is it's i'm doing my best to remove the all time low abuse allegations from my opinion on this new album however um i still think with that as removed as i can it's it's really hard obviously you can't ever fully remove it um but even trying to just kind of quote unquote, give this record a fair shake. Um, This one is really, really bad. I've liked some all time low records. I think, you know, Future Hearts and Don't Panic are really dumb pop punk records, but I think they're enjoyable and they're fun. Um, This new all time low is not that Uh, the riffs aren't good. The vocals aren't memorable. and obviously now they're like childlike appearing, appealing to like teenagers. Melodrama is just harder to swallow after the allegations that have come out. Um, but yeah, it's a swing and a miss for all time low. Bad album. They are at their all time low. I'm sorry that joke was just too easy uh, and I had to make it. But yeah, really bad album. The last one I want to talk about is actually sorry there's there's one more after this second last one i want to talk about is don toliver's lovesick this is the first one where i'm going to point you to uh acrn.com you can search my name nicholas kobe on there and find this review i was really harsh on this when it came out and i feel kind of bad about this but i also don't uh i still put it at the very bottom tier because don toliver's new album is just so boring in terms of spacey trap, everything's, it's a dime a dozen. I mean, ever since the release of Astroworld by Travis Scott, and especially in a year where Travis Scott did drop, Don Tolliver's new album is just doing absolutely nothing. I don't think there's anything interesting on here. Um, 
It's one of the most forgettable mainstream rap albums, if not the most forgettable mainstream rap album of the year. And I just do not care for this one at all. The last one I'm going to talk about is definitely the worst of the best, not because it's a better quality record, but because I respect the ambition of this one, no matter how flat on its face it falls. Uh, and that's Avenged Sevenfold's Life is But a Dream. The fact that this has been on some people's best list absolutely boggles my mind. Um, because while I applaud the experimentation they go for on this record, um, they all fail in spectacular fraction. I mean, this album feels, these songs all feel so scattered and disorganized. It's such a messy album and it's not in a good way. It sounds like this is like a very rough first draft. And even that is kind of generous. Um, it is a very grating record, um, and it was very difficult for me to stomach this year. I was really bummed about this. Um, I did not like the first single from it, and that kind of set my expectations pretty low, but I almost kind of got them up again after seeing them perform live um, just before this album came out in May at Sonic Temple. And they were great as performers. I mean, if even though if you don't like this album, I would say if you're an Avenged Sevenfold fan, at least go see them on tour because they're still very good live. However, I just don't like this album. Um, maybe it's one that requires more listens for me to really get the experiments they're going for, but I don't really know if I feel like giving it that. Uh, this was a really hard one to get through and just overall pretty awful album. The next one is our kind of just generally bad tier. It's not like bottom of the barrel, and there are definite redeeming qualities about each of these albums. Um, but overall, I'm, I'm still mostly pretty negative on them. First one I want to go with is Within Temptations Wireless. Um, the Symphonic Act Within uh, Symphonic Metal Act Within Temptation put out two albums this year. This is the only one I listened to. I did not get to their other ones. I didn't even I forgot to put it for the honorable mentions, but sorry about that one. And I like Within Temptation. I saw them open for Iron Maiden in 2022 in Columbus, uh, and they were very good. And I like a lot of their songs. It's just when you are a metal band built on these giant choruses and these big overdramatic moments when those fail to hit you just don't really have a lot left and for me most of this album just kind of failed to hit um in terms of instrumentals hooks all that um there's not really a whole lot else to be said i don't think this is a terrible album and this is one of the better ones on this tier but uh yeah just not a whole lot to say about this same thing for um Heaven's Gate, uh, their self-titled EP, uh, kind of a super group of some uh, people in the just kind of like metal world. Uh, and while it's not the lowest rated record on this list, considering this came out very early in the year, it's an EP and it's just the way it's musically constructed. This is the most forgettable metal album of the year or EP. Um, it's a thrash metal record. Um and while it doesn't do that terribly, obviously you got some people from like Municipal Waste in here um, and some people in some very good bands. But for me, just in the wide, very oversaturated world of thrash metal, there's really nothing that stands out about this that makes me want to listen to this again. 
Uh, next up is probably the album I feel kind of lands on this tier just because there are parts of it that are horrendous and miserable and there are parts of it that are phenomenal. It's not just um, the instrumentation, the lyricism, the music itself, but kind of just everything around it. Uh, and that is Greta Van Fleet's Stargazer. Le Greta Van Fleet will never beat the Led Zeppelin ripoff allegations. They will never, ever, 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 ever do it. These guys are really, really good musicians. That's the reason. The reason it doesn't wind up in the worst here is because these guys are really good at emulating Led Zeppelin. Um, and a bargain bin Led Zeppelin is still decent. It's still pleasant to listen to. Um... But, you know, I guess, you know, Led Zeppelin did spend their first two albums ripping off other artists, uh, specifically like black artists and not crediting them. So I guess game is game. Fair enough to Greta Van Fleet ripping off the ripoffs. Um, but eventually, you know, Led Zeppelin did some things to kind of make the sound their own and change rock in their own ways. And Greta Van Fleet is a band that sells out arenas that does not do that. This is Greta Van Fleet is the prime example of rock not being able to move on and what I think is wrong with the genre. So I'm trying to divorce my opinion from this album, from my opinion of this band and what this band represents, which is to me rock riding on its legacy and not being able to move on, which is the reason why the genre has not progressed meaningfully in the mainstream. You have so many great bands that we're going to talk about that are more underground and are not getting the kind of numbers and attention that Greta Van Fleet are. And Greta Van Fleet is getting that attention because they're appealing to this bygone age without actually doing anything new to rock. Um, I tried to give this one a fair shake because I like the idea of a classic rock influenced band, but that's all this is. These are all fairly good Led Zeppelin songs. And for some people, that's enough. That's fine. And if you like that, I get it. However, for me, um, no matter how good the musicianship can be on this record, I feel like none of those songs stick out the way that the songs they're emulating do. Um, you don't have a song that like hits as hard as Black Dog or you don't have any ballads that are as good as Stairway, obviously. But instead, you just kind of have these like kind of OK songs. Um, once again, great musicianship across the board. However, I, I wish this would go to something more creative. So while this might be one of the best records musically in this tier and that we've seen so far, it fails on all levels in terms of creativity for me. So that kind of all balances out to land it right here. Next up, uh, speaking of classic rock, the Rolling Stones put out an album because why the hell not? Um, yeah, I mean, legacy rock bands who are still kicking around, um, is definitely an interesting subject to get into. And once again, I think is another part of rock not being able to move on is the fact that like the biggest rock tours are still bands that were in their prime before I was born. Right. Um, and I do applaud the Rolling Stones for actually putting out new music and trying something uh, new. But for me, this album mostly misses 
I would just say this is the Rolling Stone sound that you kind of know and love, except just done worse. Um, there's nothing on this album that makes me go, I would rather listen to this than any of their other albums beforehand. Some of the reason why this is so low may be my bias on the fact that I don't like most of the Stones' full LPs. Um, I think the Rolling Stones is much better as like a like song or two band for me. I like a lot of their singles. I don't like a lot of their complete projects. Um, and that's the reason why, you know, Beatles or Stones, I'm, I'm Beatles all the way. Um, and the same does remain true for Hackney Diamonds. Uh, Hackney Diamonds, I think is how you pronounce the name of this record. Um, but it, it is kind of hard for me to tell what is me just kind of dogging on the Rolling Stones because they're kind of classic rock, blues rock inspired act just kind of feels old at this point, uh, considering how old those guys are. And how much of this is just the fact that I'm not the biggest Stones fan to begin with. But, but considering how thoroughly dogged on this album has been pretty much all year, I don't think it's just a me thing. Um, the new Rolling Stones record, I guess, if you want to give it a listen, it's not offensive. It's not like an album that's going to make you like hate yourself. It's so bad, um, but it's it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough around the edges. Um, it doesn't, it's not a return to form and there's a lot of bands who are still out and still doing things very well. The Stones are not one of them. All right. So we're moving on to another tier here. Uh, and we've, and we've got a lot more albums here. I originally labeled this the all right tier. Here's, I would, I would kind of still stick by this, but what I'm going to say for this is all of these albums have very big positives and slightly bigger negatives. Um, these are all albums that have things that I like about them and that I enjoyed listening to about them. However, there are flaws that hold that back to make the overall experience slightly more negative than it was positive. But a lot of this is the tier where I think a lot of my personal taste comes in. Um, and some of these albums may be some of your favorites of the year and just didn't really do anything for me. So that being said, uh, let's get to it. The first one, this is this is one that might catch me some heat, uh, depending on who you are, is Hosier, Unreal on Earth. Um, while I have a lot of respect for Hosier as an artist, most of this album's grandiosity fails to strike me as more than just fluff. Obviously, I made this comparison or made this kind of comment with AJR. Don't even put in the same plane of being that egregious. It's not. Um, I think this is much more tastefully done. However, um, it still does feel like just kind of a lot and not as much justification behind it. Um, his vocals are extremely impressive, despite the fact that his kind of signature inflection does make it kind of hard to make out what he's saying which kind of dilutes the lyrical messages. But um, yeah, on paper, I love these dramatic instrumentals. I love his voice. I should love this record. Uh, but in practice, this just doesn't land. Um, the songs just aren't doing anything for me. There's nothing that's kind of keeping me interested in this, these songs. Um, things that make me want to go back to these songs. It's just not really a whole lot. It was one of those albums that I listened to all the way through, and I was like, yeah, all right, and then just kind of moved on. Um, and that's just in general high feel. That being said, I think this album really picks up in its last half. 
Um, especially the final two songs I think are really great. Um, but for the most part, I was just kind of eh, on this record. So that's why it winds up here. Um, next up, I'm so bummed to put them this low on the list, but it's uh, Twin Temple sophomore album, God is Dead. I've wanted to do Twin Temple album for a few years now, and I'm really sad that it has to go here. And it's mostly just for like one egregious error, which is um, their attempt at retro production to kind of make this sound like an older record. Um, they kind of intentionally make it sound dated and that it was recorded in dated ways. However, I don't think this works and you just wind up with a record that just sounds bad. Um, I think it's muddy. Um and it just makes it so much harder to go into this record. You compare this side by side with their first record, um, and that song, that album obviously also feels old. Their whole kind of doo-wop aesthetic mixed with Satanism is kind of something that lends them to the old-timey aesthetic. I get why they made this choice, um, but for me, it just doesn't sound good to my ears. Um, modern production exists for a reason. Um, and there's a type of clarity in uh, their first record that really makes those songs come to life that's missing on God is Dead. There's still, you know, good stuff here underneath all that, but it's just hard for me to want to dig underneath the surface when you just have a record that is kind of just mixed and just generally production-wise just sounds this bad. Uh, instrumentals underneath... Vocals underneath, lyrics underneath are all totally fine. Um, but that choice for me to mix this record and make it sound the way it does. I'm not a sound engineer, obviously, but to make it sound the way it does just does not work for me. Um, but there's, you know, it, there's definitely still good stuff underneath it. Next up, I know this is kind of high for a lot of people. Um but as a certified wall defender, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth and say that this is where Roger Waters' Dark Side of the Moon re-recording it ends up. I know, I know the idea of one of the four members of Pink Floyd fully re-recording their most iconic album is kind of blasphemy. It is blasphemy in a lot of ways. Um... This album to me, or Roger Waters' Dark Side of the Moon Redux, serves as an interesting companion piece to the original, um, but in no way, shape, or form do I think this is even kind of as good as the original. I think Roger Waters' Dark Side of the Moon is one of those albums that Pink Floyd fans should listen to and go, huh, interesting, and then move on. That was kind of my response. Um just kind of getting into it, this is a much more, I guess, haunting version of Dark Side of the Moon is what I would call it. Um, Waters' vocals and specifically the fact that spoken word bits like replace pretty much every guitar solo because, you know, David Gilmore's like, just not on this record, um, you know, is... Definitely an interesting choice, and that obviously makes the lyrics and the words of Dark Side of the Moon stand out 
more and makes them kind of front and center. However, Roger Waters' additional commentary kind of swings this record in a different direction than kind of the meaning at least I derive from the original. I think Dark Side of the Moon lyrically is really great in just the little it actually says is phenomenal. Um, There's a YouTuber online, uh, Polyphonics, uh, did a Dark Side of the Moon series where he talks about this album in depth lyrically, and it's phenomenal. Um, It really helped me even more appreciate this record. Um, Waters' version, you know, the songs you know and love are still here, but they're very different. They're much more melancholy. They're much more kind of stripped back. Um... But just in general, while I think there's some interesting moves made here and while the fact that I can deal with Waters kind of like waxing poetic as The Wall is my favorite Pink Floyd album means that I might be able to stomach this more than some. I still don't love this record. I think this is worth visiting if you are a Pink Floyd fan um, and is an interesting alternate take on the record. Um, but I don't see a world where pretty much any Pink Floyd fan or anyone enjoys this record more than the original version. And when you do remakes like this, that's what you're going to get compared up against. And while it's been hard for Taylor Swift to, you know, re-record and meet the legacy of albums like 1989, meeting the legacy of something like Dark Side of the Moon in comparison is nearly impossible. Um, next up after the big Pink Floyd tangent is Skindred Smile. Um, also bummed I had to put this one this low on the list. I love Skindred's fusion of reggae and metal on a lot of their songs. What I hate is that I just don't think this record leans into that enough. Uh, it meanders around in this much more boring sound for most of its runtime. However, when Skindred goes into this um, on songs like Give Me That Boom, I think it's great. Um, and they get it really right. So I think this band is really good. I would just like to see them kind of like double and triple down on their next record. Ellie Golding's Higher Than Ever. Um, I reviewed for ACRN, and this is just a fairly fine pop record. Nothing to write home about here. Um, pretty boring, up and down. Um, but, you know, fine to listen to. Uh, if you like kind of mainstream pop music, I think you'll find things to enjoy about this record. Um, And there are definitely good moments on here. And considering this was kind of just a weak year for pop in general, it's um, probably a little higher than it would be in a more stacked year. But overall, uh, Ellie Golding's new record, it's not that bad. It's not that great. It's whatever. Uh, Same thing basically goes for Ava Max's Diamonds and Dance Floors. Ava Max is really trying to do like the Dua Lipa future nostalgia thing. Um, And I like that school of pop. We'll talk about this more later, but I like that school of pop more than I like the modern like singing and cursive minimalist like Billie Eilish, Olivia Rodrigo's first album kind of like sound that also has taken over. I feel like you got that and then you've got like the like big throwback groovy kind of stuff like Dua Lipa does um, and Ava Max tries. And while I definitely like this school of pop thought more personally, um, it's just not really doing anything original or interesting to kind of make it stick out. Um, 
Yeah, it, it's, you know, Ava's got some good hooks, but overall, I, I think the lyrics on this, as for all of her songs, are generally really weak. Um, it's better than most of her stuff, this new one. Um, but yeah, it's it's not really something I think is super worth going back to and doesn't really make me say that Ava Max is going to be the next big pop thing. I, I don't think she is. Um, I think this is just a little too derivative and doesn't quite stand out enough on its own. Um, next one I want to talk about is another kind of pop release. Not really. This is this is a rap release. Um, but obviously it's one of the rappers who has the most like crossover pop appeal, which is Doja Cat, especially on her most recent record, uh, Planet Her. This new record, however, Scarlet, Doja Cat is a really interesting public persona. And I think what really threw me off guard about Scarlet and what really disappointed me about Scarlet is that Doja Cat's persona and artistic identity, I feel like, is just so off the wall. She does so many kind of, you could argue, crazy or outlandish things. She's just such a big personality. And this record is so boring. Um, which is such a bummer because Doja Cat has some moments where she really shows off some pretty solid technical abilities here. And while there's definitely a few good moments here and there throughout the record, I'm just generally not feeling this one. Uh, just kind of a swing and a miss from Doja Cat. There's not really anything, you know, obviously some of these songs have made it to the radio, which I feel like is more of a symptom of 2023 being a weak year for mainstream pop music, especially considering the first half of the year was just dominated by country. Um, I feel like the lanes have kind of been open and I feel like that's the reason a song like paint the town red makes it to the billboard charts or to the top of the charts. It's not because it's a more, you know, poppy or even just a, as good of a song as like a kiss me more or a woman or the stuff on planet her. Doja Cat really went out of her way to try to like distance this record from the rest of her discography. And I wish that it would have been a bit more of an actually dramatic change up. Um, and while there's definitely highlights here, I'm just not really feeling this one. All right. Um, speaking of mainstream pop records, uh, Miley Cyrus, Endless Summer Vacation. It is fairly solid. Um, I think it's catchy and it's fun. Um, and obviously it statistically has the numbers flowers ruled the pop chart for pretty much the entire first quarter of the year. Um, but as a whole, I think this record's enjoyable. Uh, it's very safe, which does kind of disappoint me from Miley Cyrus considering her, the rest of her discography and her other work has proven that she can give us a lot more than just safe. Um, I would find it hard for somebody to hate this record with the exception of just overplay. Um, but I don't really think it's something that stands out that makes me want to go back to it. I think Flowers is going to be one of those songs that define 2023, um, and it will stay that way. I don't think this is a song that's going to become like a new classic because I just don't really think there's enough there. Um, that's just generally how I feel about this record. Moving on to some rock picks. We've talked about this one earlier um, in the year on Depths Proper. 
Uh, Metallica 72 Seasons, this is where I'm putting it. Um, while there's some good riffs and some decent ideas here, this record is so, so bloated. Um, there's a reason that the best song in the album is the only one that's like three and a half minutes, and that's the shortest song in the record. I just don't think the guys in Metallica do anything interesting enough musically to justify the runtime this album is given. Um, and while I think Headfield still sounds fine vocally um, and in a, on a technical level, I think, you know, like Hammett and Robert Trujillo are still very, very good. Um, this record just didn't really do anything for me. It was really a bummer because Lux Eterna is generally one of was like one of the most promising or one of possibly like the most promising single I could have asked for from this record. Uh, but it was pretty much all down, downhill from there. Um, a lot of these riffs, uh, while there's obviously good ones, some of them are just really basic. I don't know. Um, I talked about this more on Depth Proper, so you can listen to the full episode on that. And Metallica, along with Taylor Swift, are like some of my most covered artists. I've done three Metallica reviews now. So if you like Metallica, you can listen to me talk about a lot of Metallica. So I won't waste any more time here. Next up, Monoskin, Rush, Hot Take. There's a lot of music critics who love to dog on Monoskin. I, I'm going to come to Monoskin's defense a little bit. They're not really that bad. Um, I get that they are derivative of kind of like the legends of rock in a way, but to me, it's definitely less egregious than Greta Van Fleet's. I feel like they do more. It's just an influence. Um, and that's why I like them. Their sound is, I like the kind of like muscle rock behind their sound. But yeah, um, there's some really good moments on this record. I think Gossip with Tom Morello is actually fine. Uh, I love that riff. And, you know, obviously Monoskin lyrically is going to be interesting considering English is not their first language. Um, so even though some of the lyrics are kind of a little choppy or a little rudimentary, I don't really dock that many points for that. Uh, and they're definitely not like bad. For the most part, a lot of this record isn't super memorable, um, and hence the reason it winds up here. I can't really argue that this record is like one of the best rock albums of the year, um, but I do think there is stuff worth listening to on this record if you like, you know, that like muscly, red hot, steamy rock. Um, I think that this album will work for you, um, even if you don't go back to it a whole lot. For me, um, I think this is a fairly fine record. Um, a lot of people put Maniskin on their worst list, and I don't think they deserve that, so that's why I've been a little more positive in this section uh, for them than I have for some of the other bands we've talked about here. Um, but yeah, in general, this record's fine. Um, next up, I want to address one of the bigger surprises for me, which was 10,000 Gex. Yes, it's this low. No, I don't care. Um, I notably, I believe I've said on this show that I hate Gex debut record. Um, I hate a thousand Gex. Um, and just in general, I hate hyperpop. Um, there's not a lot of genres I'm going to just go out and just say that for. Um, but hyperpop is one of them. I just... It is very abrasive and it's very hard to listen to, but in a way that is not compelling to me. Um, obviously, I've listened to a lot of abrasive music. You're going to see the slew of death metal and black metal that's at the top of this list. Um, but I just think hyper pop is just grading in a way that I can't 
really stomach. Um, so the fact that uh, thousand ten thousand get kind of moves away from that in certain ways and expands their sound more is definitely what I was looking for. Um, but yeah, it's not my favorite by any means, but I think there are actually some good tracks here, and I like them kind of experiencing. Um, and sorry, experimenting with a variety of different influences. Um, so once again, I know that uh, when we were putting together our end of year list at ACRN, there were a lot of people who were very high on this record. And I feel like if you are a fan of Gex, you will be high on this record. However, for me, as somebody who was a certified Gex hater, this album went over much better than expected, uh, but it didn't still fully turn me around on their style. Generally, I think they're talented musicians, but it's just, this is just not for me. Next up is Pierce the Veil, Jaws of Life. Pierce the Veil is a good band, uh, a band I like, a band that's very nostalgic for a lot of people, not really for me. Um, and I think they have a lot of great songs, great ideas, great moments, and I think a lot of these do shine through on Jaws of Life. I just think in general, this record, especially towards the end, really drops off in quality in terms of lyricism uh, and just general, I guess, just song quality. Um, the first half of this record has a lot of really big, a lot of catchy hooks, um, and that's kind of the best thing that you get off Jaws of Life. Um, you get songs like um, Emergency Contact or Pass the Nirvana, like these songs that are really big um, and generally are really good. Um, but once you get to the slower part of this record towards the end, uh, the just kind of juvenile nature of these lyrics kind of hurts a little bit worse and kind of bleeds through a little bit more. Um, once again, I reviewed this on ACRN, so you can go check out my more expanded thoughts there. Um, last one I've got on this list as I check just to make sure I didn't miss anything is Sam Smith's Gloria. Uh, while I feel like Sam Smith had a fair shot to take over 2023, um, with, uh, obviously their hit single, um, Unholy, which I did not cover the Kim Petras, by the way. Um, that's not on this list. That's another one I missed. I keep forgetting which ones I forgot, obviously. Um, so sorry for just butting in and saying that, but, uh, back to Sam Smith. I feel like they did have a shot to take over with this album cycle for Gloria, and I feel like it just was kind of a letdown. Um, while there's definitely some decent lyrical moments, Gloria lacks the catchiness, the power, and the energy to make it a year-defining pop record. Unholy with Kim Petras is probably still the most notable song from this record, and it's the biggest standout. It's one of those records that if you, even if you've never heard Unholy, you listen all the way through Gloria, and you go, that's the single. That's the one, obviously. Um... And even if you hate that song, which I know a lot of people do, I think it's fairly memorable. Um, but yeah, Gloria as a record really isn't, and that's definitely a bummer. Moving on to the decent tier, this is pretty much the inverse of the last tier that we talked about, where while the last one, I had good feelings towards those records, even if I was mostly negative in the way I talked about them, um but there was more negative things that kind of slightly overweighed that. 
this is the flip of that. There are definitely complaints I have with these records. However, I think for the most part, they pull it off uh, and save face. First one I don't want to talk to, I didn't write down, um, but is Rat Saw God by Wednesday. I think some of my just generally not enjoying this record as much just come from the fact that this type of indie rock is not for me. Um, but obviously, Wednesday, I got to see them live this year, play in Athens. And, you know, I got to give fellow North Carolinians a chance. Um, and, and for the most part, I like Rat Saw God. Uh, I like what I heard. I think lyrically, this record is very strong. And I think, especially in the back half, when they pick up the power on this record, it really works. Um, there's parts of this record in general, I think, can be kind of boring. Um, and... You know, just in general, indie rock for me suffers a lot from the idea of like you've got the softness of indie and you've got the hardness of rock. And sometimes those blended together in a way that complement each other. And sometimes those blend together in a way where you just kind of dilute both. And there's a few moments on this record that I feel like are that. But overall, um, I think mainly the lyrical strength of this record on top of a few really good and really memorable songs at the end of this record uh, make it overall a decent listen. And I know that a lot of people have this a lot higher. I believe actually ACRN had that as their number one record. So there's definitely a lot of love out there for this record. Um, and I feel like Wednesday has a very bright future as a band. Um, but this record didn't quite do everything for me. Next up is Dance Devil Dance by Avatar. Uh, I was really initially not in this record, um, but before my interview with the band's frontman, I revisited it and actually got into a lot of it more and also realized I kind of remembered a lot more of it than I thought. Uh, I really enjoy chunks of this album a lot. I don't think it stands super great as a full project, but there are enough just good singular songs on this record. I mean, The Dirt I'm Buried In made it to number one on rock radio. Um, Chim Mosh Pits, there's a few others on here that are just generally really solid, the title track, um, that are definitely worth revisiting. So while I don't know if this is an album I will be listening to all the way through a whole bunch after this year, um, there are definitely songs from this record that will remain in rotation, and... I, I think that's, you know, pretty good for, for what it's for what it's worth. This record's, you know, even the worst moments of this record aren't like terrible or bad by any means. They're just kind of whatever. Um, so, yeah, for the most part, I recommend if you have somehow heard um, of Avatar, you see their kind of circus gimmick and you think it's cool. You saw them live because, God, they're really good live. Um, or you just kind of heard uh, any of their songs on alt-rock radio and you want to try the full project, I definitely think it's worth a listen. And while you might not like all of it, there's definitely going to be some things that you're going to want to come back to. Next up, uh, earliest big release of the year um, and what I would argue is our most likely contender for uh, best new artist at the Grammys. We'll see when we actually get around to the Grammys episode. Is Ice Spice like the EP? Uh, first of all, kind of surprised that we never got a full album from Ice Spice this year, but I kind of respect it. I kind of respect the fact that she literally rode the hype of this EP 
all the way through this year. And I feel like people were still talking about Ice Spice and her music throughout the whole year, which is definitely says something considering this is a super short EP. Um, and it's for the most part, just a collection of her singles released from the past year or so. Um, you know, all the production is done by Riot USA. Um, and I feel like that does kind of limit the EP in terms of sonic diversity. Ice Spice herself is not really doing anything outside of the kind of like drill sound or the kind of like general like pop rap and also with drill influence um, sound on this EP. And it's definitely an EP where some of the songs can kind of blend together. However, um, as an EP, it's very short, so like it wouldn't bother me as much as if this was a full album. Plus, I think there are a lot of songs on here that have rightfully become hits. Um, Munch is good. Princess Diana is great. Um, you know, generally as like songs that actually became actual hits, I think that's one of the strongest ones from this year. Um, I still really like that song, even though it's been getting played since like January and February. Uh, but yeah, Ice Spice, I think, is promising. She's just an artist that I'm worried about becoming a one-trick pony, uh, and I hope to see her break out of that in 2024. However, in 2023, I think she's fairly solid. Um, she is not an artist that blew me away, but I definitely think there is a lot worthwhile there. Next up, yeah, we got a lot of, like, pop releases on here. Um, speaking of pop albums, this is where I choose to put 1989 Taylor's version. Um, obviously, if you listen to all, basically, two hours of that review, um, where, you know, obviously it was very long, that's what happens when you put me and four Swifties, me and three Swifties in a room, um... <laughs> But it's a very good episode. I think there's a lot of really good discussion in there about each of the individual songs, some of the histories behind them. Obviously, Chase, Jenna, and Cassie are wonderful as co-hosts, but also are just very knowledgeable about Taylor Swift. And that added a lot of context. However, um, because that review was so long and spread out over two parts, I feel like it was kind of hard to maintain a consistent point about the record uh, through it. I kind of tried to bring that in, but it was just kind of hard with just how long that review was. Um, so just the general point, I think 1989 Taylor's version is good because 1989, the album from 2014, is good. I think Taylor shows a lot of interesting sides of things. Lyrically, on the From the Vault tracks, I think... Those are very good, mostly lyrically. Sonically, I think this is the first Taylor's version that is a strict downgrade from the original. Um, the production is so much more, not so much more, like noticeably more, but it's not like distractingly more barren than the original. Um, I feel like a lot of these songs are lacking the punch of the originals. Um, and considering how iconic of a pop record and how big of a pop record 1989 is you know this is probably one of you know if, if you ask somebody what's the taylor swift album for a lot of people this is it 
Um, and I think in general, this re-recording obviously has been very highly anticipated. I just feel like it doesn't do the power of 1989 justice enough. However, I think this is worth visiting, uh, specifically for the From the Vault tracks. Um, lyrically, I think there's some good stuff on there and some generally pretty solid songs on there. Um, but for the most part, this record did kind of leave me feeling like we might be going a little bit downhill with these Taylor's versions. So we're going to see what happens next year with Taylor. Um, and obviously we still have one more very good Taylor's version to talk about later on this episode. Uh, next up is the most recent release that I put on this list. Uh, last, I would say like really big notable release was Nicki Minaj's Pink Friday 2. Um, not only does Pink Friday 2, you know, the fact that these songs have become really big, uh, not only proves the power of the December release again after SZA did it last year, um, which I feel like a lot of people forget that SZA's album was last year and not this year. Um, but in general, I think this is a pretty decent showing from Nicki Minaj. Uh, I think her overuse of 80s and 90s pop songs as samples gets on my nerves a little bit. She's never as egregious with it as like a David Guetta is. Um, but that's kind of a trend that's been bothering me recently in pop music. Uh, and not every line hits, but in an album that is this long, and there are a lot of really long albums that we've talked about uh, and are going to talk about, I think it's impressive that Pink Friday 2 remains pretty much entertaining all the way through. Uh, there's radio-friendly hits as well uh, as some really great showcases of Nicki Minaj's just flow, lyricism, and like technical abilities. While not a perfect record, it's still a little long, uh, and I think some of the filler can be cut from this, I did pretty much enjoy uh, Pink Friday too. Speaking of long records, uh, we are going to talk about Dolly Parton's rock star. Um, after being inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Dolly Parton decided she needed to take a stab at a proper rock album, and this is mostly with covers. There's a few originals here um, that I think are fine for the most part. Um, but basically this out record is a two and a half hour, two hour who's who of classic rock hits um, with most of their original artists. You know, Dolly performs um, Let It Be with like, you know, the two remaining Beatles. She performs Freebird with Leonard Skinnerd. She performs I Love Rock and Roll with Joan Jett. She has an original song in here with Stevie Nicks from Cleveland Mac. Um, she even brought Steve Perry from Journey out of retirement to uh, redo Open Arms, I think, in a pretty solid cover. To be honest, these covers are not going to replace the originals. These are not really anything. I, I don't think I'm breaking any new ground by saying this. Um, and there are definitely moments where Dolly's Dolliness. Um, she has her certain inflection and her style that she pretty much sticks to on this record, despite this being a rock album. Um, so there are a lot of times where she kind of feels out of place on her own record. Um, but for the most part, it's just a generally very charming and very fun record. It's very clear that Dolly and a lot of the people involved are having the time of their lives recording this, and that bleeds through 
Um, and that's why I think it's it's kind of impossible to hate this record. I don't know if this is one you need to listen to all the way through, but I would definitely recommend, you know, just scrolling through, finding some of your favorite classic rock songs that she inevitably covered on this and clicking on them and giving them a listen because I think they're just generally pretty fun. Um, kudos to her uh, on also trying some originals. Uh, not all of them are super good. I think her duet with Kid Rock I think it's an original, but if it's a Kid Rock song, I don't care about Kid Rock, so I don't know. Um, I think it's pretty bad just because a song that implies sexual chemistry between Kid Rock and Dolly Parton is just not believable to me. Um, on the other hand, um, I think her kind of relationship heartbreak song uh, with Rob Halford from Judas Priest, while also not really believable because, you know, he's gay... Um, is much better and it's really funny to hear Dolly go back to back with the literal metal god over what is just kind of generally just like a classic like Judas Priest style instrumentation um guitar work provided by Nikki Six and Motley Crue um it's the hardest song on the album um and Hearing Dolly over like metal style instrumentals just makes me smile. Um, and hearing Rob Halford and Dolly Parton together um, as just two wonderful, wholesome old people is just fun. And that just makes me happy. And there's a lot of I feel like if you like classic rock, there are going to be moments on this album that just kind of make you feel like that. Next up, uh, Lil Uzi Vert's The Pink Tape. This was a record. I was pretty high on it when I reviewed it. I guess I've come a little bit lower on it. Um, I haven't revisited as much as I thought I would. And also, I guess I thought this record would have a longer shadow than it actually did. Um, I Just Want to Rock is still like the biggest thing to happen from this record. Um, but in general, I stand by the fact that it's pretty good. Um, I like what Uzi tries on this record. I think they do a lot of interesting things. I also think that they just deliver generally good songs all the way through. Uh, and definitely not everything is a hit here. I think it's more promising than not. I feel like we've run into the problem in the mainstream specifically. Uh, I'm talking about like mainstream pop and rap albums. Um, and now even kind of with some country with the Morgan Wallen album that's really long. We either get albums that are way too long or way too short um, and I feel like this one, as, as well as the Nicki Minaj one, are a little bit too long, and I think there are things that can be cut from this record. Um, in general, I think the Pink Tape is really good. Um, just shows really good diversity from Lil Uzi Vert, which I really appreciate. Uh, next up is Travis Scott's Utopia. is kind of one of the most anticipated rap records of the year. I believe this has been on my Is This Gonna Drop list, which... Um, I'll probably have come out actually during the new year, um, a few weeks in, I'll probably be the first actual depths episode of the new year this time around. Um, but anyways, I've definitely been anticipating Travis Scott's utopia because Travis Scott, obviously it's, he's obviously got all the controversy surrounding him because of the absolute disaster that was Astroworld. 
Um, but musically, I've liked pretty much everything he did, and I do really like Astroworld. And clearly, um, it was one of the most influential hip-hop albums of the latter 2010s, just because of how many people, to this day, you know, I talked about Don Tolliver, that I feel like are still kind of aping that style. So now that Utopia came out, I feel like there was a lot less fanfare to it than I guess I would have expected. Um... And I feel like, you know, he's not really ushering anything new in with this record, um, especially not to the degree he was on Astroworld. I mean, he was doing kind of this spacey, psychedelic rap thing for a while now, and there's obviously a bunch of people that did it before him. Um, but I feel like it really blew up in the mainstream once Sicko Mode, like, went to number one. I think it went to number one. Um but yeah, in general, I feel like Utopia caused much less of a cultural stir. However, if you listen to it all the way through, I think there's a lot of really great moments on here. I feel like Travis Scott is just a like vibes artist. I think the production on this is really good. I think there's some great hooks and some good features. Um, but I, I do think Travis is probably at his least interesting on this record. Um, so yeah, kind of a disappointment. Um, I guess I my expectations were a little high for this thing. Um, but yeah, in general, I still think Utopia is pretty good. It's not great, but it's definitely not bad. So Demi Lovato goes for a kind of interesting concept with Revamped. Um, so this is a re-record album. Unlike her pop peer, Taylor Swift, who is obviously re-recording these records to re-own the masters. It's the, that's the reason she's doing this. So therefore Taylor's re-recording these things pretty straight, um, for the most part. Demi really wants to shift into this rock direction that she did on her, I believe, 2021 album. Um, she put it out earlier this decade. Um, and to do that now, she is revamping, pun intended, um, her old hits to fit this rock edge. So this is essentially a greatest hits album, but now all the songs are rock songs. And I feel like we get some mixed results, but it's mostly pretty interesting. Obviously, I have a bias towards rock music, and I generally really do like the hits of Demi Lovato. Um... So hearing a lot of these rockified was fun for me. I think there's a few misses in general. Uh, I think the mixing on some of these songs, particularly on Heart Attack, is pretty bad. Um, but in general, I think these are some interesting takes on this. You know, having great guitar players like Nita Strauss and um, freaking Slash from Guns N' Roses come in to shred all of these things is fun. Um doing uh, a duet with Brett McCracken from The Used was also a great pick um, and a whole lot of fun. And in general, I think if you like Dolly Parton and you also like rock music, this album will work for you. And while it's not the most like creative way to take this record, she doesn't really change the songs a lot besides putting rock style instrumentation underneath them. Um, it's, it's still pretty good. Um, continuing on this rock train, uh, the breakout metal sensation of the year for me is undoubtedly Sleep Token. While Sleep Token has been around before this, um, their songs that they dropped, the singles leading up to this album, Take Me Back to Eden, dropping earlier in the year, and then we get the album in the summer, um, kind of really dominated metal this year. If you look at any of like the Sirius XM top metal songs, Sleep Token kind of ruled this year the way that 
Um, Bad Omens ruled last year. And while I kind of have come around on Bad Omens a little bit and that record a little bit, um, I am still kind of mixed on Sleep Token. It's the newest record. Um, I think visually as a band, they're a really cool concept, but that's not about the band. It's about the record. Um, and I love what they're going for here. The blend of a lot of different genres, specifically more like poppy or even kind of soulful elements um, with these extremely hard and heavy breakdowns is a great idea and it works really well on certain songs and really kind of falls on its face in others. I feel like there are moments where this record puts so many genres and puts all these influences into a pot and stirs them together and then you don't really get anything greater than the sum of its parts. You just kind of get a bunch of sections of a song that feel just really discombobulated. Um, But yeah, while it's got some fantastic moments, I think that it still has some work to go. Sleep Token still has some work to go with this sound and I think there are great ideas that can be done with this sound. And I even think that when it comes to, you know, blending genres like this, I think acts like Zeal and Ardor have already been doing this better. Um, but in general, I do like this Sleep Token record. I think it's fairly solid. Um, if you liked all the singles, definitely give it a listen. Um, didn't really impress me that much, but I understand why people have been really into it. Next up, um, Overkill with Scorched. I feel like dropping an album as a thrash metal band on the same day as Metallica is just like the worst marketing decision you can make. I don't know if it was too late for them to take it back by the time they figured that out, but what's funny is that this Overkill record is much better than the Metallica record. Um, unlike the Metallica record, this is a thrash metal band that is still making pretty solid thrash metal. Um... The record is fast and throttling, as you'd expect from Overkill. Uh, songs like The Surgeon provide memorable anchors for this kind of tornado of thrash metal uh, that just kind of sweeps you up during this album. Overkill may not be at their peak, and obviously, um, vocally, kind of like Megadeth, they have a very distinct style, although I think Overkill's is more style than Megadeth's, where it's just kind of like, I just don't know if David Mustaine can sing. Um... So while kind of the, the nasally vocals may be a turnoff for some people, in general, I think this Overkill record is definitely worth your time. Um, and considering, you know, some of the metal acts we've talked about, legacy metal acts specifically, especially in Thrash, I think Overkill are actually looking pretty solid. The Used, uh, this is the only album I did a full review of for WOUB, uh, this album Toxic Positivity, um, and in general I feel very much the same as I have felt about this record. It is a fun, catchy pop-punk album, um, and there's not really a whole lot more to it than that. Uh, there's a lot of really good moments on this album, there's a lot of really you know, catchy songs. I don't know why they left the best song or the best single they released before this album um, off of the record. Um, the uh, American Nightmare, I believe was the name of the song, is better than anything on the record, and I still don't know why they left it off. But uh, it's overall, I think it's a very good record. Um, if you like the used, obviously, they have this kind of legacy in pop punk this is not as harsh as their early stuff. 
It's much more radio friendly. However, um, I think if you like pop punk, this is definitely a good record to listen to. Um, definitely a few songs, kind of like that Avatar record that you can hang on to. Um, and while I feel like lyrically this album still kind of meanders in that juvenile pop punk territory, uh, for the most part, the catchiness and the um, strength of the instrumentals just kind of make up for it a good bit. Next up, uh, this is another one I reviewed for ACRN, Depeche Mode's Momentum Mori. Uh, Momentum Mori, sorry. Um, this album has grown on me throughout the year, especially after getting to see them live. Uh, this year at Cleveland, very good show. Um, God, it's, it's, it's actually sad. It's not sad. It's actually like insane how good they are this late in their career. But yeah, I think Momentum Mori brings a lot of really good Depeche Mode songs, um, to their discography. And while there are definitely plenty of forgettable moments on this record and things that just kind of don't really work for me. They have songs on here like Ghosts Again um, and like some of the songs on the back half and some of the singles um, that I feel like even as I was listening to a concert filled with their greatest hits, I was still walking away thinking of this new stuff. And for a legacy band, I think that's one of the highest compliments you can get, especially considering uh, the tragic death of um, Andy I didn't really know what was going to be next for Depeche Mode. Um, and the fact that they have come out now with an album that is this strong um, and sh they've shown that they are still fully capable of making the great kind of new wave music that made them famous. Um, it's really great. You know, obviously this is not better than Violator, um, but in general, I think this is definitely worth visiting. If you like Depeche Mode, you will like this record, uh, and I think this is a really good album and just a generally really good showing from them. Jack Harlow's Jackman um, was an album that came out kind of early in the year, and I feel like this album and now the single he just put out recently have proven that I just think I don't like Jack Harlow when he does the pop thing. Because this album is pretty much, there's not really any like hits on this record. It's pretty much just straight him rapping through pretty much all of it. Uh, it's a very like lyrics focused album. And I think it is the best thing he's ever done. I think it's extremely strong. Um, I think the first track in particular, um, while I understand he's also kind of giving it to me with the uh the line about music white kids becoming rap journalist or i guess music journalist in my case um you know i think he generally brings up a lot of really good points in that album about the kind of appropriation of hip-hop culture um and i feel like this kind of continues throughout the album even though he you know doesn't touch on that as much in the album, he touches on a bunch of other subjects, uh, including some personal stuff. Um, I think it's just done really well. And even though this album is very short, it's very good. Obviously, considering there are quite a few bars in here about how Jack Carlo doesn't really love the press and really doesn't hear care what people on Twitter or like nerdy dudes think of him. Uh, I suspect he doesn't really give a fuck what I say here. Um, however, I actually think this album is pretty solid. Uh, and if you are not a Jack Harlow fan and you don't really get him, I would recommend giving this album a listen. 
All right, so this is the album that came out kind of early this year that I've kind of has kind of slipped from memory. So this one's going to be kind of vague, and I'm sorry for that. Uh, Mac DeMarco, Five Easy Hot Dogs. The thing about Mac DeMarco is he put out two albums this year. No, I did not listen to the Nine Hour one because I'm not really a huge like Mac DeMarco fan. I like him enough. I like this album enough to put it this high because just in general, um, it's pretty much an instrumental album all the way through. Um, and it's it's pleasant to listen to. It's fun. I enjoy it enough. Um, and it's it's not really a record that sticks out a lot, but I definitely, you know, enjoyed hearing it. That's pretty much all I got for that. I'm sorry about that one. Um, Queens of the Stone Age in Times New Roman. I really like this one. This is definitely on the higher end of the tier if this was actually tiered in order. Um, Times New Roman is really good. I think Queens of the Stone Age has one of the most consistent discographies in rock. Um, and I think they continue that here. This record definitely has like the muscle that I want from a Queens of the Stone Age record. Um, they're kind of like desert rocky groove plus a bunch of fuzz pedals sound really works here. Um, and I think just in general, they put together a bunch of just generally very solid rock songs all the way through. Um, so yeah, if you're a fan of alt rock in general, I think Queens of the Stone Age is one of the best bands in that genre. And I think Times New Roman in Times New Roman is an album that is doing that better than most are just still doing it. Um, got to see them perform live this year, also at Sonic Temple, and they were once again very good. Um, so yeah, things are looking generally bright for the Queens of the Stone Age. Um, which is definitely good. Um, and in general, their discography is so consistent. I was kind of expecting that, but they definitely didn't let me down. So definitely go check this one out. Uh, another one I have written about elsewhere on ACRN, uh, Enslaved by Heimdall, um, is a black metal record. And I feel like this one is very good. It just kind of in terms of progressive black metal albums or kind of these, you know, with these long, meandering, multi-part um, songs, I feel like this record is very good uh, and it does a lot of really good things and it has a lot of really great, interesting moments and ideas um, compared to some of the albums that have come out this year. It just kind of fails to stick out a little bit. But in general, I think... You know, for me, it is kind of hard for me to get into big, long, progressive songs, um, especially in a abrasive genre like black metal. However, I think Heimdall is crea uh, crafted in a way that makes it um, an interesting lesson from start to finish. Um, and once again, there's a lot of really good ideas on this record. Um, everything flows very smoothly and just in general, it's a very solid record. Next up is Gorilla's Cracker Island, um, which is interesting because, like, despite a star-studded lineup of featured artists, there's just not really a whole lot that stands out about this record, which is weird coming from Gorilla's. Um, the whole band is very technically good on the album, and I did enjoy listening to it. However, this is one of those albums I, like, low-key totally forgot about when I got to this list. I was like, oh my god. I listened to that Gorillaz album this year. I totally forgot about that, um, which, of course, is a pretty major ding, but that might just be on me, though. Okay, um, this one is the one I'm going to catch a lot of heat for because this has been consistently at the top of people's lists this year. However, 
Um, I think there are, while it is a very good record, I think there are serious flaws in Lana Del Rey's new record. There, Did you know there is a tunnel under Ocean Avenue? This is probably my hottest take on the list. Um, you know, I think the praises of this album are warranted, and I think they are very well-deserved. Specifically, I think Lana is super good lyrically on this album. Um, all the way down, she is phenomenal. She is also a phenomenal vocalist, which, you know, of course, also remains throughout this entire album. Um, the big problem with this record for me is pacing. Um, it's a longer album, which is fine, but I feel like when you have very long albums, um, I believe this album is around the hour and a half mark. I'm not completely sure about that. But I feel like this album puts piano ballad next to piano ballad next to piano ballad next to piano ballad all the way down. And I feel like despite how good Lana's lyrics are, it is such a, I feel like, sonically kind of repetitive album, at least to my ears, um, that it can't fully overcome that to become one of the best albums of the year. I think lyrically, yes, you can definitely make that argument. However, I think this record kind of falls apart in the pacing department. Um, this is not my favorite Lana record. I think albums like Norman fucking Rockwell and Born to Die show some more diversity in her sound. Um, but yeah, I think Did You Know There's a Tunnel Under Ocean Avenue um, is very strong. It's a very strong record from Lana. Um, and I think... It has earned a lot of its flowers. However, um, I think as a full project, it is kind of an exhaustive listen. This is one of the only albums I actually actively fell asleep to this year. Um, obviously, it's all piano ballads, so that makes sense. Um, but yeah, in general, I was just having a hard time separating the ideas on this record from each other because of its sonic repetitiveness. Once again, that might just be a me thing. And, you know, as I'm training my years as a critic, I might, you know, come back around on this record. Uh, I've re-listened to this quite a few times and it has gradually moved up my list every time I've listened to it because um, there are definitely some standout moments. However, for the most part, I still think this pace, the record's pacing does shoot it in the foot to keep it from being a truly exceptional album. Next up, I can't believe I'm putting this like I'm talking about this right after. Obviously, these tiers are not in any order, but man, they're God. The fact that I'm putting Fallout Boy next is crazy. Um, I talked about them on depths. I like Fallout Boy. I love Fallout Boy's first four albums. I think this is their strongest album since their reunion by a mile. Uh, they try a lot of different things on this record. Um, and I think for the most part, it does actually work. Considering how bad Mania was, I was, you know, the bar was in hell for Fall Out Boy, at least for me. Um, but I genuinely think there are some good songs on here. There are some great rock moments on top of like the dramatic instrumentals, um, like Heaven, Iowa, and other such songs. But yeah, I talked about this more in full on my actual depths episode uh, about it. And I talked about it in my summer pop punk. I talked about seeing them on this tour um, and I'm hoping to go see them again. Generally very good record. 
last record of this section. And while it's not the last record that came out of the year that I'm reviewing, this is the last album I actually listened to. I listened to this album uh, to review it on this just a few hours ago. So this one is pretty fresh. So the new one from Kesha, Gag Order. Kesha's very interesting. Um, I love Kesha's hits because I'm very nostalgic for them and just that um, like Y2K, early 2010s kind of just all out party animal kind of aesthetic she has. Obviously, the history behind Kesha and what was going on at that time is rough. Um, however, I think her biggest hits do stand the test of time and are just generally super fun pop songs. Kesha, in general, is just a very talented artist. Um, so I was definitely interested to see what she was going to do as she adapts to the new decade. Uh, I believe her last album came out in like 2017-ish, 2019-ish, somewhere around the end of last decade. Um, and for the most part, I think Gag Order is really good. She tries a lot of different things here. Um, some of this album feels very inspired by, like, Kanye West Yeezus, which is not what I was expecting from Kesha, but kind of the more abrasive instrumental moments on this record I think actually go over quite well, uh, especially when Kesha's, you know, doing a more angry song. I also think her ballads, um, while kind of derivative of the just general Lord Billie Eilish um, school of, like, whispery pop songs of this era, um, while it is a little derivative of that, Kesha makes up for that in the fact that she has very good things to sing about. She has a lot of very interesting and important things to sing about because she has lived a lot of life, especially compared to the younger artists who are kind of pushing this sound in the first place. Um, not to say what they say doesn't matter, but um, Kesha has a very strong pen on this record, and I think those softer moments, uh, she really employs that in a way that really pulls this record through. There's a lot going on here. Um, and while obviously this is, you know, if, if you're like, Oh, how's the girl who wrote TikTok doing? And then you listen to this, it's not going to be that. However, um, I think this record once again shows that People don't give Kesha her goddamn credit as an artist uh, on her own outside of her absolute piece of shit of a producer that she worked with for most of her career. Kesha is an extremely talented pop star and watching her venture into more different and experimental um, sides of her music has been really interesting and I think just generally really good. Um, so Gag Order is not my favorite pop record of the year, but in general, I think it's a pretty promising one. And I'm really interested to see in whether it's one of these directions that Kesha tries on this record or something else entirely where she goes next, um, because I feel like she's still got a lot of great music left in her. Next, moving on to our second highest tier. These are generally just records uh, that are just good all the way across um, and definitely stood out throughout the year. First one I want to talk about is Ghost's new cover EP, Phantomine. 
Um, they go for a wide variety of genres, which I really appreciate, and they do a really good job of not only paying faith to the originals, but also really changing things up. I think their cover of uh, Jesus He Knows Me by Genesis, which was the lead-off single for this, was fantastic. The fact that they actually were able to do an Iron Maiden song justice with Phantom of the Opera um, is obviously a, a notch in their belt, um, despite the fact that Paul Diano didn't like this. This got the um, Steve Harris stamp of approval, so that's all I need. Um, but yeah, in general, Ghost just does a lot of different artists from across the genre spectrum on this EP very well. Um, this is their second covers EP, and I think just in general, when they do covers, they're very good at it. Uh, Ghost has remained very popular this year, especially with, you know, Mariana Cross um, going viral. It's been a big year for Ghost, so it's good that they got to release this to kind of capitalize on that. However, um, it looks like we are gearing up for what's going to be the next era of Ghost, and I'm really excited for that. Next up is uh, Cannibal Corpse, Chaos Horrific. I talked about this on ACRN, um, but just to rehash, Cannibal Corpse is one of the most consistent um, death metal bands, point blank, period. They are one of the founders and one of the people that really pushed hardcore death metal, uh, brutal death metal. And I feel like they've just been doing a great job all since. I know that a lot of the older Cannibal Corpse material is definitely hard to get into, especially lyrically with 2023 sensibilities. However, um, I think in general, instrumentally, those records are all still very, very solid. Um, and now with Corpse Grinder at the helm and 15 albums deep, Chaos Horrific is still brutal, gory, violent, exactly as you'd expect from a Cannibal Corpse album. However, it also is still catchy, uh, especially in the guitar department, um, and generally is just a record that will get you banging your head from start to finish. Um, it goes between a lot of different tempos. Uh, they're great when they go for these like slow or more, you know, doomy ish sections, um, more just slow death metal. Um, and then these like blistering fast sections, which is cannibal corpse is known for. Uh, I still think corpse grinder is one of the best vocalists in extreme metal. Um, he has an inhuman growl that is also still somehow comprehensible, uh, which I think really adds a lot. And I think in general, the way that the lyrics are structured on this album is very good. I feel like a lot of them are not just like descriptions of violent crime, which have been a lot of Cannibal Corpse records, um, but they more tell a very violent story, which is a slightly different thing but is also still good. And sometimes the said violent story is just, hey, this dude's going to get stabbed by pitchforks. But I think there's much more, um, I guess, narrative, if you want to say that, in Chaos Horrific. This isn't obviously a concept album. Um, but yeah, if you like Cannibal Corpse, you're going to like this album. If you like death metal, you're going to like this album. It's Cannibal Corpse. They're doing what they're doing. They're not really reinventing the wheel. But they are kicking more ass than pretty much any old school death metal band out there right now. And it's great to see. Next up is the hers collective, um, self-titled record. Um, it combines the talents of a variety of musicians across the alternative world. Um, not only 
they're kind of consistent members who have been in the band for a while, but also some people from outside of the band. Sorry, the record's called We're Still Here. Um, it is not self-titled. That's my bad. Um, it doesn't have the title on the cover, so I forgot about that. Very good cover art, by the way. This is definitely a contender of cover art for the year. Uh, the lipstick uh, in the like gloved hand with the razor blade on it is super sick, and the bright pink is perfect for the fact that this album is brutal start to finish. Um, it's all guns blazing all the way down. It's vicious in pretty much all the best ways. Um, and it pushes hardcore to its edges in ways that I really like. Um, it's definitely one of the most abrasive releases of the year. Um, and it may not be for everyone, but if you like extreme music, you owe it to yourself to check this one out. Um, just generally solid, very creative all the way down. On top of that, um, another very good, obviously this is more common in punk than it is in metal. Um, but as a punk record, it's very politically minded and considering this group features a lot of artists who are trans and talk about some of those issues, um, and LGBTQ plus issues in general, along with other things on this record. Um, I think it also provides a very unique perspective than just kind of the straight white guy overtones of a lot of mainstream rock music. Um, but yeah, in general, I think the Hers Collective new album is great. We're still here. Uh, definitely give it a listen. Not going to be for everyone. You know, if, if hardcore and like abrasive music is not your thing, this won't be for you. However, uh, I think it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, the award for the God, why didn't I listen to this album sooner record goes to Jason Isabel and the 400 units weather veins. Uh, weather veins is lyrically one of the best records of the year. Point blank period. Um, Jason shows his writing skills um, and shows writing skills in a way that I feel like country adjacent rock, which is kind of what this album is, has just been in generally, you know, in general missing. He touches on some really, really hard topics, uh, very specific topics. Obviously, for content reasons, I'm not going to go into all of that right now. Um, but he does a great job of balancing that line that I feel like for these kind of singer-songwriter types, when you're relying more on music than you are relying on instrumentals, um, as is usual with these kind of records, he balances that line of being specific enough to where it doesn't feel too broad, but also sharing stories that are relatable to a large number of people. I feel like he does that all very well here. Um, he also has a song here uh, called King of Oklahoma, which is about um, kind of adjacent to the plot of uh, the movie, um, Killers of Flower Moon, based on the book, uh, but the movie came out this year, uh, the new Scorsese film, um, and was also one of my favorite movies of the year, so it's a nice little pairing there. Um, but yeah, Jason is just on fire lyrically here, and I also think melodically, he puts together a lot of really great songs. His singing is fantastic. The back, uh, the 400 units is doing great work instrumentally behind him, um, and just in general, this is a record that I was singing along to on my second listen, um, but also had me sitting in my car on first listen being like, damn. And it's like in a good way.
uh, it just hits me. But yeah, I've been basically re-listening to this all month, um, and it's been hard for me to like build up the motivation to listen to other albums for this review, just because of how good this record is. So I feel like the only reason this album is here and on the top tier is because I probably need more time to sit on it. However, um, if you feel like you don't like country or like country adjacent rock, give this record a try and I guarantee they'll probably change your mind. Um, Jason Isabella and the 400 unit are just so talented um, and just once again so good lyrically and instrumentally just across the board. Great record. Um, next up is one of my favorite pop records of the year. Um, and despite the fact that one of the songs kind of went viral on TikTok, I feel like this record still didn't get enough credits. Um, and genuinely did have the kind of like power to dominate the year. Actually, you can kind of say that about two so records in this tier. Uh, but the one I'm talking about right now is Troy Sivan's Something to Give Each Other. I know a lot of people really like Troy Sivan. Um, so he's not like struggling for fans. However, I feel like we should be putting this album at the top of our list in terms of pop albums and especially when it's been such a lackluster year for pop troy savon has just been absolutely tearing the rest of the game apart troy savon is just kind of blowing every pop star out of the water here in general uh, I think this record succeeds because it does have the fun it does have the energy and while in general, the vibe of this album is kind of laid back. The grooviness of the rhythm section with the bass and the drums makes this record still an exciting listen as a pop album, which is something I really appreciate. Um, one of Your Girls is one of, if not the best pop songs of the year. There's so many great hooks on this album all the way down, though. Um, and just in general, I think Troy Sivan is once again uh, giving a really, really strong pop album. And just in general, just one of the biggest successes uh, in that genre this year. Jeff Rosenstock's Hell Mode. Um, on this newer record, Rosenstock does better than a lot of his peers at making a pop-punk record that still managed to actually maintain the edge both musically and lyrically of pop-punk as a whole. But just in general, uh, I think this is just one of the most consistently good rock albums of the year. It's a very, like, it reminds me a lot of Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge by My Chemical Romance. Um, where it is a pop punk album in the sense that this does have big choruses and kind of pop adjacent song structures, but there is still that very raw edge to it. Um, and also very poetical lyrics, obviously, which is a very punk thing. Um, but yeah, in general, this is just a very solid rock record all the way through great riffs great hooks all the way down uh, and just in general if you like pop punk this is definitely an album to listen to and when my complaints for a majority of the pop punk records this year have been the lyrics felt a little immature um i like that jeff rosenstock is taking that 
and doing the exact opposite while also still giving us real edge and weight instrumentally to go along with it. So this is the kind of platonic ideal of a pop punk record for this year. Speaking of records that take a lot from pop punk, but not a fully pop punk record, is Olivia Rodrigo's Guts. It's winding up here. Um, one of the most recent full albums I reviewed for Depths of Music. You can go back and see that review, but in generally, I still feel very positively about this record. It is exactly what I wanted from a second showing from Olivia Rodrigo, and I think in general has made her a stronger artist um, and gives her catalog such a boost of diverse songs um, beyond that first record, which I felt like despite how good Sour was, it was a little immature and it was a little one note. And I feel like while there are misses on this record, while I still don't like Vampire that much, um, hilarious that the lead single is the worst song in the album. But um Despite the few lyrical misses here and there, I feel like for the most part, Olivia has just upped every part of her game on Guts, and I'm super excited about that. Going to a very different record, uh, JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown scaring the hoes. Um, once again, it is just a very good rap record. I say once again because you've probably heard this a thousand times. This is like the Rate Your Music critics' favorite rap album of the year, and I definitely see why um front to back this record is not only fun but it tries a lot of interesting things and just shows uh peggy and danny brown just going off in a bunch of different directions uh in terms of instrumentals while just staying super sharp uh, in terms of flow and lyrics all the way down so yeah it's a great rap album don't really know what much more you can say one of my favorite success stories of the year is the Foo Fighters, uh, but here we are. The loss of Taylor Hawkins is obviously such a huge hit to the Foo Fighters and was extremely tragic, uh, as he's one of you know one of the best drummers Rock had, and. When that happened, there was definitely a lot of uncertainty of like if the Foo Fighters would continue. And not only was I surprised when they announced they would continue, I was very surprised when they announced that they were already coming out with another record. Um, and I was even more surprised when it turned out to be genuinely one of the best records they have ever put out. Um, Dave Grohl has this reputation as like the nicest guy in rock, which I, you know, I understand where he gets that in terms of public persona. Um, but I feel like that kind of takes away from the fact that in this album, he's got a lot of vocal edge and this is a very, like, this is a pretty heavy record. It's not like, obviously it's not a metal record, but in terms of like alt rock, this is a relatively heavy record. Um, and Grohl is really going at it vocally with some of these harsher segments. Um, but not only does this new Foo Fighters record contain big songs that I'm sure the arenas are going to love as they've been going on tour, um, but also just contains some really great moments lyrically. Obviously, there's a lot of songs and songs that reflect on kind of what's been going on and the tragedy the Foo Fighters have been facing. 
um, that I think are done extremely well. Um, and just in general, you know, I got to see the Foo Fighters this year uh, close out Sonic Temple, and it was a great performance. And just in general, that was, that was a few weeks before this album came out, and I was really high on them after that. And unlike Avenged Sevenfold, um, when this album came out afterwards, I was just really impressed. Um, I loved it. You know, I re-listened to it today for the purposes of refreshing myself, and I loved it even more this time. Um, I found myself singing along to this record. I found myself really thinking to this record. It was just in general one of the most solid rock records, and considering that I was not a big fan of the last Foo Fighters record, uh, this is a great return to form, so I love to see this from them. Next up is another EP I covered on ACRN, Chatpile and Nerver's Brother in Christ. Half the reason this is on the list is because um, Chatpile's album last year, um, God's Country, is the best album of 2022, and I fully did not listen to it until 2023, and the moment I listened to it, I knew I should have put it at the top of my list last year, and I felt really stupid that I hadn't listened to it. So half of this is just me apologizing for the fact that Chat Pile should have been on last year's list and should have been at the top of it. However, um, Brothers in Christ is still really good. Um, this is half Chat Pile, half Nerver, um, they frequently tour together. I believe they did it on this most recent tour as well, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, in general, Chat Pile is one of the best modern rock bands. They really bring the noise. They really bring the energy um, and just go absolutely feral on every single song. And Nerver does exactly the same. And this is a nice little four track EP that is just consistently just awesome all the way through. Next up, uh, we got Cattle Decapitation with Terracite, and while Cattle Decap's migration towards the melodic side of things may ex upset some like metal elitists, Terracite for me is still a success. I will always give Cattle Decap points um, for being more politically and socially conscious because I feel like that's something that mainstream metal doesn't do enough, and metal in general. I feel like sometimes is lacking, especially compared to its kind of sister genre of punk. Um, but Cattle Decapitation is an exception to that, and I really appreciate that. Um, it's just, you know, on top of that, lyrics are one thing, and I'm not going to give them too many points just for, you know, being socially conscious, because anybody can be socially conscious, but not everybody can make killer-ass melodic death metal this is what this cattle decapitation record is for me. Instrumental performances are good all the way through, and while it may not excel as some, you know, as high as some of the other metal records I put higher on the list, Cattle Decap's new record is still a really strong showing from just in general one of metal's best acts these days. Um, if you like metal and you want to get into the newer side of extreme metal, Cattle Decapitation is one of the first bands I'd point you to. They're also great live. Got to see them this year. Um, and yeah, in general, love Cattle Decapitation. Super happy with this record. All right, so it's been a minute since we've talked about 1989 Taylor's version, um, which shows you, I guess, how big the gap is between where I am putting Speak Now Taylor's version. While maybe I think you can argue that the From the Vault songs are not as strong here, 
I feel like Speak Now is a better recreation of the original than 1989 is. I feel like while there are some moments that I called out as kind of misses, there are definitely some really good moments and some good redos here. Um, in general, I feel like though a lot of the biggest moments on this record still maintain their power. And in general, Speak Now even after this year um, and even after, you know, kind of sitting with this record a while, Speak Now still remains, to be completely blown with you, top three Taylor Swift record. Um, it's underneath Folklore and Red. Um, but yeah, Speak Now is a great record. I am, I guess, happy that we got 1989 Taylor's version this year, but I feel like we, we, we kind of stopped talking about Speak Now a little too soon, but... That's neither here than there, because let's be honest, nobody's shut up about Taylor Swift this year. So I'm going to do that now and say that you can check out my full episode on this record. Um, but in general, I really love Speak Now. Once again, just like 1989, I feel like this is mostly here this high because of the strengths of the original. However, I feel like as a recreation, this one goes uh, a little more faithfully and just in general cleans things up better than 1989 where 1989 kind of took some things away from that original album. Next up, we've got another EP with Spirit Box, The Fear of Fear. And while I definitely wanted a full album from Spirit Box, and I'm pretty sure that's going to come next year, Fear of Fear kind of delivers all the greatness of Spirit Box in a bite-sized package. Every band, and especially every like big popular metal band that's kind of ruling octane right now um tries to balance these like heavy breakdown with these big accessible courses and i feel like a lot of them just kind of blend into each other you know i didn't listen to the new Beartooth record because when i saw them live at sonic temple i felt that way about them for example um spirit box however i think does this to a level that most of their peers can't and i think a lot of that is due to the varied instrumentation um you know the great breakdowns of mike stringer um guitar player for this band um and i feel like how willing they are to kind of strip away the instrumentation during the softer moments of this record and of course uh courtney's absolutely phenomenal vocals she has great clean vocals she has a great scream um, and in general is one of the most well-rounded metal vocalists um, that we've got right now. Next up is a band that I really wasn't expecting to hear from again so soon, but here we are back talking about another Autopsy record. I wrote about this in my top five metal albums of the year for WOUB, so I'm not going to spend as much time on it here, and obviously... That's going to rain too for a bunch of these records because obviously as my top five metal records of the year, they're going to waste pretty high on my overall list. But um, Autopsy's new record is really solid. I just think, you know, they're an older death metal band who took a pretty big break in the middle uh, and have come back recently. Uh, last year they had a record, uh, and this year they also followed that one up with just two of just the best well-rounded death metal records of the year. Um, just front to back, it's a phenomenal record. There's not really a whole lot to say about it. If you like death metal, you're going to love this record. Um, and I think it's doing that old school sound, you know, obviously I talked about Cannibal Corpse is one of the best at doing this. 
Um, I think Autopsy is absolutely another contender. Another one I want to talk about uh, that is also another contender for old school death metal being done very well is the new one from Obituary. Um, even though this came out very early in the year, I have been consistently thinking about and revisiting tracks from this new Obituary throughout the year. Um, and I just once again think is generally very solid. Um, a lot of what I said about Autopsy goes for obituary except um for i feel like the autopsy record goes a little harder and is a little more abrasive uh versus the obituary record but they're both death metal records they're both abrasive they're both fast uh and they both kick ass so yeah big fan of both of those records next up my favorite thrash metal record of the year is king gizzard and the lizard wizards Predo Draconic Apocalypse and the Dawn of the Eternal Night and Annihilation of Planet Earth. Long ass album title. Um, but yeah, King Gizzard is back doing a thrash metal record. Obviously, we had a lot of Gizzard last year and I forgot to put it on this list. Um, but uh, there were two Gizzard records that came out this year. And despite the fact that there was less Gizzard, I felt like it was definitely quality over quantity. Um, and I loved both of the records that came out this year. But Predo Draconic Apocalypse uh, really just caters to what I like about Gizzard because it's almost infuriating that Gizzard can just snap their fingers and become one of the best metal bands around. Uh, they did it on 2019's Infest the Rat's Nest and they came back again and they did it again. Um, this record's got the drive, it's got the groove, it's got the shredding solos, it's got the great growls, it's, it's pretty much everything you could want from a thrash metal record. But with Gizzard's own unique spin on it, because despite the fact that this band is now 25 records in since 2010, which is an absurd number when you think about it, um, they still have retained an artistic identity um, beyond just going woo during their songs, um, that is definitely felt throughout this album. While I, I might not like it as much as I liked their last metal record, Infest the Rats Nets, just because of the bigger concept behind that record, um, they're still doing everything that they did on Rats Nest very well here. Lyrically, they're very good. Musically, they're very good. Um, great riffs, great solos, great everything. Pretty much everything you could ask for in a thrash metal record. Only downfall of this record is the fact that it's really hard for me to recommend to you because of how long that title is. Next up, I feel like when it comes to records that got really big and got a lot of attention, the best one of the year is Boy Geniuses, the record. With one exception, there's a record a little higher on this list that got a good amount of attention but not as much attention boy genius is the record um is an album that kind of really defined this year and i am very happy that it did because this record is really good um lucy lucy Dacus, julian baker and phoebe bridgers took over the world this year um and they have great chemistry, not only from the clips I've seen of them live on stage, but also musically. They complement each other wonderfully. They have great harmonies together. Um, and it also helps that they are just all talented musicians and songwriters. And on this record, they kind of fuse that all together in a way that becomes greater than the sum of its parts. 
um, while also not just making sad guitar ballads. They're kind of, you know, branching out here and there with some of these songs. But yeah, I really like what I heard on this new Boy Genius album. Um, and in general, it was just really good all the way down. I forgot to write it in. That's the new Mitski album. The land is inhospitable and so are we. And this record, you know, when it comes to people who do sad girl, barren indie music, um, I feel like there's not a lot who can do it in a way that like can touch Mitski. Um, I mean, obviously you have some really great artists kind of in this vein, like your wise buds who had a great album last year. Uh, but this new Mitski is really phenomenal all the way through. It's a pretty short record, um, especially compared to a lot of the records this year. But in general, I think Mitski makes her time very efficiently. I think lyrically, she is great on this record. And just in general, I really like all the way down what she's doing. She has a lovely voice um, and it does a great job to carry this record. While a lot of times I as you can see, kind of becoming a pattern through this review, I can get bored by kind of minimalist instrumental um, records. I feel like this is one of the records where it really works for me um, and does a great job of enhancing the emotion going on uh, in this record. Next up is um, a melodic death metal record, which I love melodic death metal. I put Arch Enemy very high last year. But this is like a melodic death metal record that is so melodic, it's almost a metalcore record. Um, and that is In Flames Foregone. I know there's a lot of people who are not happy with, I guess, how poppy and how much of the clean vocals are on this record. However, it would be disingenuous for me to put In Flames any lower than this, considering that there are songs from this record that made my like top 10 most streamed songs of the year. I was replaying and the transmission and state of solo decay all freaking year long. And that speaks to the strength of this album. If this is a metal record that is too poppy for some, so be it. It's really goddamn good at that. Um, and in flames, just kick a lot of ass here. I know, um, even though this is a, this is kind of a poppy record by their standards, I feel like the brutal moments of this album and the harsher sections still do hit. Um, but yeah, they created an addicting, well-paced, and very versatile album. Uh, and Foregone makes me kind of really excited to see where In Flames is going to go next. Next up is one of my favorite pop records of the year. It's Caroline Polachek's Desire I Want to Turn Into You. In fact, this is the first of the last three albums in this section before we get to the very top tier, and these are kind of my pop albums of the year right now, um, these three. So um, I talked about this for ACRN, but in general, I think Caroline Polachek is doing very interesting things instrumentally on this record and trying a variety of different things that I really like um, sonically, but also I just think she is a great pop star. Um, she has great vocals. Lyrically, she's pretty solid, and in general, these are well-crafted, very catchy, very enjoyable songs, and I feel like 
there is a lot on this record that I have been replaying over the year because it's a catchy pop record that has not been getting the credit it deserves from the wider public, which sucks. But if you just like good, fun pop music that's going to you know take you by surprise a little bit in some areas, you got to listen to this new Caroline Polachek. It's fantastic if you have not already. The next one is Ray, 21st Century Blues. It's, in my opinion, the most underrated album of the year. Um, I was very close to putting this in the top tier. I uh, know you could probably still argue it. Um, Ray shows so much versatility on this record. Um, we see a lot of versatility in pop stars, or I guess attempts at versatility of like, can they rap? Can they sing? Can they, you know, do all basically the whole nine yards, right? Ray does that better than I think a lot of her peers that are more famous than her. I think she does it better than your Doja Cats, for example. Um, she is a genuinely very good rapper. She has great flows and great lyrics. She is a great singer. Her more soulful moments uh, and then her bigger moments, uh, more bombastic moments, they all really work very well. Um, but she still maintains a distinct musical identity throughout the whole record. She is super competent um, and even tackles some pretty tough topics lyrically. I know that um, escapism got some play early on, and that's how I discovered this record is because I love that song. Um, but there are a lot of moments on this record like Black Mascara or kind of the more emotional, tougher moments like Ice Cream Man um, that also really deserve your attention. So if you like escapism, I know it got a lot of play earlier this year, or if you just haven't heard it, uh, and you want just a generally well-rounded, very accessible record, you got to check out this new one from Ray. Finally, at the end of this tier, we have Carly Rae Jepsen, The Loveliest Time. I am a certified Carly Rae Jepsen stan, as is every white male music critic on the internet. That's not a unique take. Um, I praised her last record last year to hell and back. And while I still do prefer the loneliest time to its sister record, which obviously Carly does this with every record. Um, I still really like the loveliest time. I feel like she kind of takes the foot off the gas in terms of like bangers, I guess on this record. However, um, while that may not appeal as much to my personal sensibilities, she, does a really good job in the groovier or more sultry moments of this album. Um, and there are still plenty of bangers and catchy hooks and fun bass lines here. But in general, um, I feel like The Loveliest Time shows a lot of versatility in Carly Rae Jepsen, which I really appreciate. Um, and while it doesn't have as many big pop songs I'm going to go back to, because that's typically what I go back to Carly Rae Jepsen music for, um, it's still a great record, great companion piece to the original, uh, and once again proves why Carly Rae Jepsen is peak, uh, and I will not be convinced otherwise. All right, so now we have the excellent tier. These are the best albums of the year. Um, a lot of these albums I have written about previously. Um, 
especially for ACRN's year-end list. I wrote a blurb about one of these albums, and for my top five metal albums of the year for WUB, I wrote about two of these records. Um, so I'm going to get those out of the way first, um, except for the one that I've already written about that, spoiler alert, is my favorite album of the year. Uh, first one I want to start with is Crypta Shades of Sorrow. This is one of the metal releases on this list, and it is phenomenal. Um, I am so bummed I didn't have the chance to see Crypta when they opened for Morbid Angel uh, earlier this year, but goddamn, this record is so good. Uh, it's a sophomore record, which is insane that... This band is so tight, so fierce, so consistent um, this early in their career. Um, I feel like Crypta basically runs the whole gamut of extreme metal, uh, not only with fast, brutal sections with these kind of like raspy death metal screams, but also bringing it down and taking it a lot slower for these groovier or even, you know, slower more methodical sections. Um, Crypto pulls it all off flawlessly on top of some pretty solid lyrics. Um, there isn't another metal record this year, in my opinion, that is this well-rounded in terms of extreme metal. There's not like clean stuff on here. Um, but in terms of extreme metal, there is not a record as well-rounded, as consistent as this. Um, and from a band that is this young into their career, that's really impressive. Uh, despite the fact, obviously, I know that some of this band came from uh, other bands. As Crypto, they have only put out one album before this, um, and I think this is just super impressive. Next up is Lil Yachty's Let's Start Here while Lil Yachty is a mainstream artist, this record is such a far left turn for him into more like psych rock. And while obviously I've been talking about Travis Scott on and off uh, through this review at points, um, and obviously he does more like psychedelic rap. So obviously incorporating elements of that into rap and hip hop is something that can be done. Lil Yachty takes this to an extreme in the fact that, like, with a few exceptions, this is not really a hip-hop record. This feels much closer to Dark Side of the Moon than it does to Illmatic. Um, and I think Yachty pulls this off flawlessly. I think the auto-tuned vocals are a perfect choice for a record like this. Um, on top of just really great lyrics. And I feel like for a lot of psychedelic records, the flow of the record really matters, how one song flows into the other, how it kind of takes you on a journey. Uh, and Let's Start Here 100% does that. So I'm super happy to see Lil Yachty branch out and just do it pretty much flawlessly. Um, I wrote about this more for ACRN's year-end review, but then again, I didn't really write a whole lot for that blurb. So, in general, go listen to this record. If you don't like Lil Yachty, maybe you're just not a rap fan, or you just in general are not a big fan of his, um, you still owe it to yourself to check this record out. If you like classic Pink Floyd and you want to see kind of a new take on similar sounds, you need to give this one a listen. Next up... 
Uh, I'm going to talk about Nas, Magic 2 and 3. I'm kind of cheating by putting both of these records here, but I don't really care. Um, while Nas and, Al- and Hit Boy have now made it to six albums together, I will still eat that shit up every single time. Um, if the Nas and Hit Boy sound has worn out on you, I get it. I get why these records have not received as much attention as the original, uh, the first King's Disease did in 2020, um, and kind of, you know, as the subsequent Magics and King's Diseases have kind of followed it up throughout. Obviously, I was very positive on uh, King's Disease 3 last year. In general, Nas and Hit Boy have now found a rhythm. They found it a long time ago, but uh, they really have stuck to kind of the same blueprint for these records. However, Hit Boy's production is so great. It's such a winning formula, um, and Nas is still unmatched lyrically, um, especially compared to rappers from his generation. Um, and I'd argue with a lot of the best, uh, of this generation, not a lot of people can touch him. Um, Nas is one of the greatest of all time. And this series with hit boy, these two trilogies have just proved that he is here to stay. And it's just a giant victory lap. I don't know what's next for Nas. I feel like Magic 3 kind of implied that this is kind of the end of his saga with Hitboy. However, I am still really interested in what Nas does next because he is just such a force in terms of penmanship. I will be eagerly anticipating whatever he's got next. Next up is Reverend Christian Michael Hader. Uh, this is the artist formerly known as Lingua Ignota. Uh, she has now disassociated with that identity and has now changed um, her artist's name as she pursues this new project and her debut with this new project as uh, Reverend Christian Michael Hader is saved. And while... I really love Langway Ignota. Obviously, Sinner Get Ready was my favorite record of 2021, and it still remains that. I was sad to see Langway Ignota go. However, I knew that um, Kristen, which not only being part of this new name is also actually her real name, um, was going to change over to something because she was artistically invested in it. And Kristen is just such an artistically, like, wonderfully artistic-minded person that I knew whatever it was going to be was going to be great. And I was 100% right. I talked a lot earlier, now probably about an hour and a half ago, uh, about Twin Temple and kind of making retro production sounding, you know, bad on purpose. Um, But where that record kind of fell apart in that, I feel like this record does it perfectly on top of these very abrasive moments that make this record a gospel album in some senses, but also as we've kind of come to expect with Kristen, very haunting, multi-layered, and just generally very good. Uh, There is a concept to this record, which I am, you know, slowly unpacking upon more re-listens. 
Um, but as all the best stuff from Lingua Ignota does as well, saved feels like being kicked in the chest in the best way possible. Um, if you are someone who was raised religious, um, and especially if you are somebody who no longer identifies as religious, this album is going to hit very, very hard for you. Um, there are moments of this album that are extremely difficult to listen to, um, but I think it's all for the better, and I think in general um, it's another show of force from Christian Michael Hader. Uh, so yeah, I'm super excited to see whatever she does next, if we're going to continue onto this like kind of religious centric and then kind of twisting parts of it train that we're on for saved or if we're going to go in a completely different direction whatever it is um this record not only stands alone as a fantastic piece of art but also continues to prove that um pretty much everything Kristen puts her hands on is going to be great um and I hope to not be proven wrong, but I seriously doubt I will be. Next, uh, as the second to last record of the year, and while I didn't put these records in order, this is definitely the number two, and then the next one's the number one record of the year. Speaking of an artist that has never let me down, um, this is why Paramore is number two. Um, yeah, Paramore made number two. I reviewed this on Depths in Full. Um, and I praise this album to hell and back because, and I've said it there and I'll say it again, Paramore has never made a bad album. It remains true for This Is Why. Um, while I praise Jeff Rosenstock for having the best pop punk album of the year, Paramore, while being known as a pop punk band, doesn't really do a lot of pop punk stuff on this record. Um, the stuff they do do is great. I think The News is a fantastic track and it's probably one of the more like hard rock tracks on this album. Um, but Paramore goes in a bunch of different sonic directions here. Um, but what remains consistent is their talent as instrumentalists and songwriters and just uh, fantastic lyricism. Paramore is one of those bands that has evolved so graciously. And while they have moved very far away from that original sound that made them popular on songs like Misery Business... They're a band that still remains, in my opinion, fresh and exciting um, and pretty much never disappoints. The only reason this is at number two is despite the fact that I said the Paramore doesn't disappoint, one of, if not my least favorite Paramore songs, Say Come Sa, the third single from this album, lands on this record. Um... Obviously, I listened to that single a good bit when it came out. I also got to hear it live when I saw them on tour, and still this song doesn't really do it for me. Um, and the fact that that kind of is a mark against this record um, keeps it from that number one spot, but just barely. There are so many great songs on this record. Crave is one of my like new all-time favorite Paramore songs. The title track is fun. Running Out of Time is fantastic. I cannot recommend this record highly enough. I don't care if you like any genre of music. Um, I think overall this is a record that can appeal to everyone and is just so exceptional. Super excited to see whatever happens next with Paramore. Things are kind of up in the air now considering they deleted all their social media. 
Uh, but they're still scheduled to go out and tour EU with Taylor Swift. So, man, I am jealous of the Swifties who get to see them in, uh, you know, them and Taylor in one night. But uh, if there's one band that I think can maybe possibly even outperform the Eras Tour, it's uh, it's Paramore. Uh, great show live. Um, this record and the subsequent tour that I went to just really even more firmly invigorated my love for Paramore. Um, so, yeah, really, really high on this record. So definitely go listen to that. All right. So the best record of the year, the number one record of the year, um, is also my favorite metal record of the year. I wrote about it for WOUB, and I even got the chance to interview the uh, artist behind this record. I stress the accessibility of This Is Why by Paramore because this record is by no means accessible. However, um, I think artistically it stands so high and that is black braid 2 by black braid um this is his second album uh and considering how new this project is like crypta but you know following up 2022's black braid 1 with this record right after um is such a feat and when i talked to um john because this is pretty much a solo project um, he talked about kind of these records, these two records kind of being part of the same idea. Uh, and you can definitely see that, but I feel like Black Braid 2 takes the ideas of Black Braid 1 and just goes a lot harder with it. Um, this is definitely a black metal record through and through. What I said about Crypta being the most well-rounded extreme metal record of the year is still true. This isn't as well-rounded. It's a tried-and-true black metal record. However, I think it takes what makes this genre so great, at least in my opinion, um, and really kicks it up to 11. Nature has always been a big part of black metal, um, but while typically it's been focused on like cold scandinavian uh kind of winters this album on the other hand is very much inspired by american wilderness um and as you know john told me it's a very nature-centric album and i think that does a great job of paying homage to the roots of black metal while also giving it its own unique artistic identity um, this is on top of some of the use of instruments you don't typically see in black metal. But all that aside, this is just a consistently great black metal record. It's one of the black metal records ever that I keep coming back to, especially this year. That's probably a recency bias thing. However, um, I just think this album flows from song to song so well, it really does feel like you're going on a journey, but also every riff, every section, every vocal passage, everything on this album hits, everything gets my head banging, every riff is new and exciting and creative, um, and it basically is just a captivating, haunting, and really beautiful record all the way through. Um, so Black Braid 2 takes the number one spot for 2023 simply because it is such a consistently exceptional record um, through its entire runtime, and there's not really anything I can complain about with it. 
So yeah, that is the end of our thing. Um, I guess I don't make depths very often, but I guess when I do, it's the longest goddamn episode I've ever recorded. Um, but except... Unlike the last Taylor Swift episode, I don't know if this is going to be split in two parts, and it's just me yapping for two and a half hours. So thank you for listening. If you made it all the way to the end of this, hey, congratulations. I should start doing YouTube video essays at this point. But uh, I genuinely appreciate you sticking with me. It's been a interesting year for music. I have made reference in this episode to the fact that I think it's kind of been a weak year for pop music. However... Um, I think in general for music, there is no such thing as a weak year because everybody, you know, there's so much music being put out that good music will exist no matter what year it is. And despite the fact that, um, I didn't get, you know, an album like Renaissance by Beyonce that made that top tier like it did last year, I still think that there was a lot of great stuff to be had. You know, music is more than just what's popular and music is more than just what's Indian underground. Um, and I think we covered a pretty good breadth and yes, depth of music, uh, across the entire music landscape. But yeah, um, that all being said, thank you for listening. If you like this episode and you want more content relating to 2023 albums, I have tried to mention, um, and I have probably ad nauseum and also obnoxiously, I have mentioned every time that I have written about or podcasted about an album already. So there are a lot of these albums you can hear about by just scrolling through your phone uh, about Depths of Music, um, which I now realize I forgot to put the Sabrina Carpenter EP in there. You can put that in the kind of like green tier. I know you don't know what that means. I'm looking at a color-coded sheet, um, but it's the third tier from the top. It's a pretty good record, but it's not perfect. Um, Anyways... I'm going on a lot of tangents, and we all know I've yapped enough. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at nickkobe122 um, and check out all my other content where you can see more about these albums and, uh, in some cases, the artists who wrote them um, and check out all my other stuff. In particular, I really want to thank you guys once again. I know I said it a lot, but... Um, as this has been the first full year that I've been in college all the way through the year, you know, 2022, I was very consistent with depths until I got to college. And now that I am in college, it's a lot harder to find the time to do these episodes, especially fully script them the way I did uh, back then. And I went a lot off script for this. And as you can tell by, you know, the fact that there's going to be some filler words probably still left in here and some gaps left still in here for where I take a minute to breathe. Um, I don't always have a bunch of time to edit and all that kind of stuff. So I really appreciate you guys sticking with me through the inconsistency of Depths' schedule. I do think a lot of the episodes I have put out recently have still been very good. Um, and I want to make sure that the stuff I put out is high enough quality um, as I grow as a journalist through school. Obviously, that's what I'm majoring in. I want this show to also grow with it. And, you know, I'm going to keep working on adding things to the show to make it better and better. Um, definitely going to try to have more guests on next year. I say that every year, so I'm not going to make any promises. However, um, that would definitely be nice. Uh, also take some of the work off my shoulders. 
Um, but I'm going to quit yapping because I definitely have long enough. Thank you for joining me today um, as we wrap up 2023. I hope that your 2023 has also been very good. Mine has been very good. Very stressful, but very good. As you can probably tell. Um, and I am so excited to see you in 2024 for another great year of music. And another year to dive back into the depths of music. I'll see you next time.